Uh, we are in elementary, uh, going over the fundamental truths of Christianity. And we literally just started last week with a little bit of an intro of where this idea comes from. So if you're new, haven't been with us, you didn't really miss anything, you can go back and review. But uh, for quick recap, the author of Hebrews lays out six things that every believer should have a very firm grasp on. In fact, the author of Hebrews goes so far to say that I don't want to go over these things again because they're so basic, they're so fundamental. We've gone over them enough. We need to move on to bigger and deeper things. <clears throat> and so by way of introduction of, our, of lesson one this morning, I want to ask, how many people here have ever successfully broken a bad habit? Anybody ever successfully broken a bad habit? Okay, a couple people. Anybody trying to break a bad habit and you kind of get, you win a little bit and you kind of that back and forth? Anybody willing to admit to that one? Okay, there, yeah, there we go. And how many people here have a bad habit and you've just given up? I can't break this thing. It is unbeatable. Anybody willing to admit to that one? Yeah, okay. Michelle and I are honest. We're, we'll, we'll own that. Um... So it's interesting because a bad habit is one of those things that just kind of lingers and it might give you a momentary, whatever reason we have the bad habit, right? It is a release in the midst of stress. Um, it is just a guilty pleasure, whatever it is. Um, when it lingers, it starts to almost weigh on us because every time we get in, maybe not even every time, maybe the odd time we kind of enjoy, for lack of better words, this habit um, we kind of feel a little guilty, like, oh, I wish I could break this thing. And the interesting thing about this morning is that breaking bad habits has a lot to do, actually, with the first lesson we're going to go over. Um, so this morning, we're diving into, um, oop, repenting from evil deeds. Lesson number one, the basic teaching of repenting from evil deeds. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. The author of Hebrews says this, So let us stop going over basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. So that's our first two. So next week we're talking about placing our faith in God. And this morning we're looking at repenting from evil deeds. Um, and the author of Hebrews is suggesting that in order for us to truly grow in our faith, we need to have a really firm understanding of this idea. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take that four-letter word, or four-letter, four-word phrase, and chop it up in two bits. We're going to look at repentance, which is the most important thing when it comes to our faith, one of the most fundamental things we need to understand, and then we're going to look at evil deeds. Again, um, and for those of us that have been raised in church, evil deeds is not what it seems. There's actually a couple layers to what the author of Hebrews is talking about there. So um, if you think you have a firm grasp on it, uh, prepare to be um, challenged a little bit. Um, so with all that said, repentance is what we're diving into. Uh, the idea of repentance appears in Scripture over 209 times. I think it's kind of a big deal. 209 times either the word repentance, repent, or at the very least, the very concept of repentance is used. So what is repentance? <laughs> oh, whoop, before I get into that, 
Um, repentance is so important that when Jesus was starting his ministry, he, after he's baptized, after the temptation of Satan, we read this. He says, Jesus went out from there and preached, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. It was important enough for Jesus that this was the main thing of his preaching, repent. And most of your translations probably just say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And the NLT takes it a step further, um, which I think is helpful. Uh, this morning I'm going to kind of pump the tires of the New Living Translation. There's things about it that are really strong, that I really like. But in the same message, I'm going to say that there's a little bit of error in it as well. Not error, just a weak spot. And this is why it's so important for us as English speakers to read multiple translations. Because when uh, someone is taking Hebrew or Greek and trying to put it into English, it doesn't translate straight across. In the sense of Hebrew, it is really basic language. And so one word of Hebrew could have multiple, um, multiple English translations because it could be such a broad concept. But in the next breath, with Greek, Greek has, oh, we use the word love, for example. We have love, right? You can love pizza, you can love your wife, you can, you can love all kinds of stuff. Um, but in Greek, all those things are broken up into separate words because it is so complex. It is such a specific language. And so the struggle can be, what do we need to highlight? What do we need to emphasize? Um, so yeah, you need to be reading multiple translations. But here, the New Living is really strong. The translators decided that the idea of repentance was so important that we're going to do a little bit of legwork for you and we're going to unpack this thing for you a little bit. So instead of just saying repent, the New Living says repent of your sins and turn to God. So what is repentance? According to the Lexham Theological Workbook, it says this, repentance is an act of acknowledging past wrongdoing, expressing regret, and committing to right behavior or obedience to God. It is a transformative process that involves turning away from sin or transgression and turning back to God. Now, if, you have the, if you're using the notes on the app, I left a whole bunch of blanks in there for you, so I'm going to leave that up for you so you can fill in all the blanks. But I want to unpack even this definition. Because I think we at times, only get half of what repentance is. And we miss the second part. And sometimes, I would say that we almost miss the importance of the first part. Um, so, repentance, according to this book, is acknowledging past wrongdoing, expressing regret. I think we understand the concept of the first part, acknowledging wrongdoing. We know that. We know that in order for us to repent, we've done something wrong, we need to acknowledge it, we need to ask for forgiveness from it. So we've got that part down. But I'm not sure that we always get the regret part. And the way I was thinking about it as I was getting ready is, again, I'm going to pick on the kids, because the kids are the embodiment of everything we do, it's just we're smarter about it. Um, parents, how many times... When your kid has done something, they've punched their sibling or they've done something wrong and you've gathered them up and you've taken them to the other sibling to make it right and you say, apologize. How heartfelt is that apology? Sorry. Sometimes my kids 
You need to apologize. They're yelling from the other side of the house. I'm sorry. No, that is not heartfelt. That is not a sincere apology. What is that? If they're feeling any amount of regret, it's the regret they got caught. They don't actually feel bad about what they did. They're just bummed out because you just happened to catch them or their sibling was loud enough that you got upset about it. Right? And whether we're willing to admit it or not, I think sometimes that's how we feel about the wrongdoing we're coming to God about. To some degree, I'm not sure we actually feel bad. We don't actually have any regret about it. It's just the fact that God is all-seeing, God is all-knowing, and essentially we got caught. And we know it's wrong because the pastor said it was wrong, or we read it in the scripture that it was wrong, or mom and dad told us it was wrong at some point. And so I know it's wrong. So I'm going to apologize because it's the right thing to do. But the reason we go back to it is because we don't actually have any regret. I don't know if we really fully understand how bad or how wrong it is. It's just the fact that we got caught. Part of this repentance, part of this idea that, that the author of Hebrews is trying to unpack and Scripture is trying to unpack is the fact that we need to actually own the fact that sin is wrong. That evil is wrong. It should bother us when we slip up again. It should bother us how pervasive it is in our world. It should bother us. We should actually have a, almost a physical reaction that we are so disappointed. We're so upset. We're so filled with regret. I'm not going to say guilt because guilt is this long Guilt doesn't come from God. There's no longer any condemnation from God as we read in Romans. If you believe in Jesus and declared him as your Lord and Savior, there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, but there is conviction. And conviction draws us to God and we're like, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. Please forgive me. But how often is that coming to God and admitting what we've done is simply just, I got caught again. There's not actually any regret. There's no remorse. There's no actual. There's no real disgust towards it. It's just like, mm, I got caught. The second part of repentance is super important. And I will admit that even recently I was talking about repentance and I missed this part of it. It's two parts. It's not just turning away. Right? So repentance is acknowledging what we've done and knowing that it's wrong, so we turn away from it. The literal repentance is it's a 180 away from the thing that we know we're not supposed to do. <clears throat> but just like a bad habit, if you just keep turning away from it, if you just keep trying to stop doing the bad habit, more times than not, you're going to fall back into it. You know the key to breaking a bad habit? You need to replace it with a good habit. So if you are a nail biter, for example, you want to replace, it's not as a matter of I need to stop biting my nails because it's not going to happen. You need to replace it with a good habit. So the obvious good habit would use nail clipper. And what's the excuse when we try to replace that? Well, the nail clipper is too far away. So put one in your pocket so you get in the habit, right? So you make that new habit. Remove that excuse. But that's what we need to do if we want to break bad habits. We need to replace it with something. 
Jesus even talks about this in the spiritual realm, that if we remove something that is evil and we don't fill ourselves with something to take its place, that thing is going to come back and in fact it's going to bring seven of its friends with us and it's going to be even harder. How many people, don't raise your hand, I won't, I won't ask you to do that. How many people have ever gone on a diet to lose weight and it was a restrictive diet, you couldn't eat all these things and when the diet was over you went running right back to the things you weren't supposed to eat and put it all back on. Hello, I'm guilty, I'll own that. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't accomplish anything. We just ran back to the, what was the problem in the first place. And sin is the same way. Repentance is the same way. What the author of Hebrews is saying and what Jesus is saying is we're not just removing sin. We're not just removing evil deeds and turning our back on it, but we're turning to God and we're seeking the good things that God has for us. We're replacing that evil, we're replacing that sin with God's blessing, with God's repentance, with God's presence. And this morning, I don't know if anybody knew this, this morning is Pentecost Sunday. And I don't know if you know this, but we're a Pentecostal church, so Pentecost is kind of a big deal for us. And what Pentecost is, is on Acts 2, the disciples were gathered together, and they were praying the Holy Spirit came and fell and tongues of fire came on them and they preached in many languages and they 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus that day. And as Pentecostals, we embrace, we acknowledge that the Spirit still comes and the gifts of the Spirit still operate and we can still do what they did. We can still see healings. We can still see People can still speak in tongues. People can still prophesy. They can still do the miraculous. We, can, we are still spirit-gifted, spirit-enabled people. But all too often, we want these gifts. We want the good things that come with the Spirit without dealing with the things that are getting in the way. And what repentance is is saying, I am turning away from this, which is contrary to God. I'm turning away from this that is contrary to what God has called me to, and I'm not just turning away from it, but I'm embracing the good things of God. I'm embracing His gifts. I'm embracing His love and His presence and His goodness. This is what repentance is. It's not just turning away. It's not just saying sorry because you got caught, but it's a turning away from what is wrong and turning to what is right. There's a couple other reasons that we need to, uh, another, a couple other reasons that repentance is so important, um, according to Scripture. I'm going to just blast you with a whole bunch of Scripture here, so don't try to write this down. If you want to write it down, go back and watch it later. It's all on YouTube. Um, so repentance is the only way to escape God's judgment. Ezekiel 18, therefore I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn from your sins, don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Turn back to who? Turn back to God. Turn away from what is evil and turn back to God and find life. It prepares the way for God's kingdom. I read this verse already, Matthew 4, 17. Uh, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance brings forgiveness and restoration. 
At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. This is God's desire of repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. Ezekiel 18, 23, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. God is patient with the unrepentant. 2 Peter 3, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now this next part is really important. Repentance may not remove the effects of sin. I think this is one of the things we struggle about repentance is that we come and we repent and we say we're sorry and we expect it to save us from the consequences of our sin. How many people, parents, again, pick on you. Just because your kid said sorry doesn't mean he gets out of what he did, right? There's consequences. And scripture is very clear about this. Uh, In Numbers, Israel's repentance couldn't prevent the 40 years of wandering. They're supposed to go into the promised land, and they rebelled against God. And then they apologized. They repented. God's like, it's too late. You should have gone when the door was open. Now you're going to wander. There's a consequence. King Saul, in 1 Samuel, Saul repented of what he did, but God had already passed judgment on his kingship. He wasn't going to rule anymore. He's going to be replaced by David. And David himself in 2 Samuel, um, David has his affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant, and God's judgment is that the, the baby dies. And David mourns, and he weeps, and he cries out, and he's repentant. The whole story is just, he wouldn't even eat at the time. But the consequence was already, there's a consequence. The judgment is already passed. I think we need to remember that, that it's not a matter of, God, I'm coming to you, I'm repenting, I'm sorry, please take away the consequence. Mm, Sometimes, sometimes we avoid the consequence. Sometimes God in his mercy decides not to discipline us, but sometimes, sometimes he does. And God in his infinite wisdom decides when and when not to. And so we come to God humbling, like, God, I'm sorry, I'm turning away this time. Repentance is a little bit of a big deal in Scripture. The second part, I'm rambling apparently. So the second part of the first is repenting. Second part is evil deeds. And the easiest way to unpack evil deeds is uh, to use the word sin. We don't talk about sin a whole lot in our culture. Um, it's one of those, it's an ugly word. But it's an important word in, in Christianity because we need to understand what sin is and why we need to turn from it. Sin is any action that violates the law or moral standard of God. Sin is human activity that is contrary to God's will. Scripture tells us that we can know the will of God. We can. We can renew our mind. We can come into a relationship with him. All my Romans people are like, we're going over this again, hey? Um... Romans 12 says you can, your mind can be renewed 
Do not conform to the ways of this world, and you can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. It doesn't have to be a mystery. We can know God's will. And we can know that sin is very contrary to God's will. Now, one of the things I could have done this morning is I could have gone through all of the lists of Scripture of what is sin, and then we'd be here till tomorrow. Um, if you want the little detail, what is wrong, um, the New Testament, Paul's really good at making those lists. He loves lists. Love, loves lists. English, good. Um, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to list it all off. Um, if you want one, two, any of the lists, you can come find me. I'll point it out to you in Scripture. But what I will say is this. If you want to know what is and isn't sin, Jesus summed it up this way. In the most concise way, but the most overarching way he possibly could. Matthew 22, he says this. He's interacting with the Pharisees. But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, everything, entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Everything from before the book of Matthew in your Bible, Jesus says, is summed up. Oh, I did this so flawlessly in practice. Everything, three quarters of Scripture, is summed up in those two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and Luke adds, and all your strength. He pulls that out of Leviticus. And God comes first. That's not accidental. And what is love the Lord your God with all that? Love the Lord your God with everything you think about. Love the Lord your God with everything you talk about. Love the Lord your God with everything that you put your hand to. Honor Him with your entire being. Not just a little bit of your time on Sunday morning. Not just a little bit of your time whenever. Not just a little bit of your... But in everything that is life, love the Lord your God. The second commandment is the same. It's just as important. Love your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? It's anyone you come in contact with. Not just the person you just happen to live a house who's next to your house. Everyone is your neighbor. So how do we go know what is sin and what isn't sin? Ask yourself, is this loving? Is what I'm about to do honoring to God? Is what I'm about to do loving towards the person I'm going to do it to? And that's really basic. It's really simple, not easy. Big difference, simple and easy. But that's how Jesus summed it up. He said, you want to know how to honor God? You want to know how to avoid sin in your life? Love. Paul says this so often in the New Testament. He says, you need to pursue love. You need to put love first. Is what I'm about to do honoring to God, is it? Because God is so much, you read the commandments, you read the law, you read the teaching, God is so much about relationship. 
He wants to have a relationship with you. So what, what I'm about to do is this going to harm my relationship with God? Is what I'm about to do going to harm my relationship with this person? Because God loves unity. He loves order. He loves love because God is love. He calls us to forgive. He calls us not to hold bitterness. He calls us to these things. Why? Because these are all expressions of love. In fact, Jesus said that the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love. But, I'm going to wrap up with this. What the author of Hebrews is saying here, and if you're wondering why I keep saying the author of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. For a time we thought it was Paul, because it kind of felt the same, but then we did a little bit of digger deeping. Digger deeping. <laughs> Deeper digging. Again, okay, English well. Um, and we discovered that it probably wasn't Paul that wrote this. There's some word choices and everything that just does not line up. So we don't know who the author is, so you're just going to have to hear author of Hebrews for the next six weeks. The author of Hebrews is not just talking about sin, and this is where the NLT, the New Living Translation, is a little bit weak because it doesn't say evil deeds. What the Greek literally says is dead works. And my Roman study, prepare yourselves because this is coming up again. Dead works is not just sin. It is the idea that we can earn our salvation. Because the author of Hebrews is writing to a Jewish crowd. They have turned from Judaism. They've become Christians. And now they're wrestling with this transition. And what, the, what Judaism had this idea is that if I just did all the right things, if I just acted the right way, God would love me, he'd bless me, and I could earn my way into eternity. And then Christianity comes along and says, no, salvation is a free gift. All you have to do is believe. Romans 10, this is what Paul says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There's nothing in there about earning it. There's nothing in there about going through the motions and doing the right thing. It's simply believe and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is that why are you doing the things that you are doing? Are you, why are you reading your Bible? Why are you serving at church? Why are you doing the good things that you do? Is it because you're trying to stay in God's good books? Well, guess what? You can't do anything. You're already in the good books. And nothing you could do could ever take you out of it. And nothing could ever move you up the pages in it. You're there. We don't work to earn the salvation. We are saved. And so we work in light of that. We live differently because of God's forgiveness. We live differently because of God's love. We live differently because we are saved. Not to keep our salvation, not to stay saved. And that is a big difference. We don't read the Bible because it's the right thing to do. We read the Bible because we have a relationship with a living God and we want to know Him more. We want to know His will better. We want to be in step and we want to See how we're doing. 
We don't pray because Sunday school told us it was the right thing to do or the pastor told us we're supposed to pray every day. We pray because we have a relationship with a living Savior who wants to connect with us and talk to us and go over things with us. He loves us. There's a big difference in those things. And what the author of Hebrews is calling us to is stop going through the motions. Stop doing these things because it's the right thing to do and do it because of what God has already accomplished in you. Because if, And you can tell. If you're reading the Bible simply because someone told you to once, it gets really, it gets really hard. If you're praying just because it's the right thing to do, it gets really hard. Even coming to church. If you come to church out of habit, it's, it's one of those good habits that's hard to maintain. But if you're coming to church expecting to meet Jesus and you're coming to church to encourage the body, if you're coming to church for these, that's the life-giving. That's the part that is, that is evidence that you are different. It's a big difference between these things. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you're not just supposed to repent of the evil, the sin that is going on, but repent of these dead works and just simply live a life of faith. And I'm going to leave it there because next week we're going to unpack what faith is.